This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, the pod pinhead, and this is commentary for pages 367 to 371. Let's get right into this this time. Page 367. Don't call me Shirley. Well, obviously, that's a reference to the airplane movies in which someone would say, Shirley, you can't mean that we're headed straight for the sun. And then the other guy would say, yes, we are. And don't call me Shirley. And in this case, it didn't work out quite right, mainly just because of a sort of quirk of the dialogue. At some point in the second-to-last panel, the mayor says it would surely have been a catastrophe for the people of this town. The joke mainly only works if you start the sentence with surely. Surely it would have been a catastrophe for the people of this town, but it would have been kind of awkward if I had ordered the words that way on this particular page. So I just left surely where it was and just sort of hope for the best. So anyway, here's Mika off to meet Mayor McCheese and of course the tacky painting that everyone's got in the background, the dogs playing poker of this world. And of course he starts right off by calling Mika Lady Nia, which she's kind of tired of by now, even though it's only been a little while, but she's already sort of fed up with that, so she tells him that her name's Mika, and, and he just sort of brushes it off and says, yeah, sit down. And so he get, launches into his formal speech. Part of this is that he's trying to be big and important. Not that he isn't big and important normally, but he's trying to be, you know, appropriately formal and dignified for the occasion, which of course he puts great weight on Mika, obviously considers this to be less important than the other people around, but he is trying to put on a bit of a show for the big, you know, we're near Tendra and congratulations on winning our fabulous luxury cruise for two. So he's he launches into his little speech and she's like, okay, you're welcome. Tresca looks over and sees her dad. This was just kind of a little throwaway thing to indicate that Tresca's dad had a connection with the city government. Not really a major story point, but it is, that's what her dad does, is he works with the city. And so you can see that not only because he's here, but also you can see because he's got the same outfit as the mayor. So when Tresca and Mika were talking to him earlier, he was wearing the same outfit as now. So he was either getting ready for work or had just come back from work, probably just getting ready for work because it was early in the morning. So Tresca's looking over at him and people were wondering what her expression was. I guess it's kind of good, actually, that you don't get to see what her expression is, because it leaves it sort of up to your imagination. But she was probably a little bit peeved, because, of course, her father did this complete 180 between being very suspicious of Mika, and now he's completely happy, and oh, isn't she wonderful? And there's a little bit of that here that doesn't get completely communicated, but that's that's the idea with Tresca and her dad there. And so Mayor tells Mika that she's now been awarded this title, Hero of Tendra, which of course means nothing to Mika, but it does mean something to Tresca on page 368, which is why there's the reaction shot of her looking over and a little bit more explanation on the title, that it's something that people don't get very often, and it's super important in near Tendra. He says it's been decades. I didn't specifically say, because I'm sure that people have been given that title since the war, which was like 80-some-odd years ago, if I remember correctly. But... I didn't want to have to come up with some specific incident that someone did, and so it's been decades, and that's all that he says to it. And then he says, no doubt you'll see a huge increase in followers after this, because he does sort of believe that she is a, you know, an incarnation of this god, or is possessed by this god, or something like that. So he is taking this kind of whole thing at face value, as are all the other people who are saying that Mika is Lady Nia. They really do think that she either is the goddess, or is possessed by the goddess, or is, you know, intimately linked with the goddess in some way. And so it is, of course, perfectly rational for them to say, well, you know, you're going to have followers because, you know, you're a god. Of course you're going to have followers. And everyone in all the different gods in near Tendron lore have their own different set of followers. Some of this is going to come into play 
in the tale of Nia, which I'll cover in the next podcast. But all the different gods have their own set of followers. So Tresca follows Miro, who's the god of treachery and is involved in stealing things and being conniving and evil and stuff like that. And people who would be more warrior soldier types would probably follow Nia, being that she kills a lot of people and that's what soldiers do too, or at least have the potential to do. That's why they're useful. So that's sort of how the idea of the followers... And, and people would be given a choice. It's not like you just are assigned to a specific god when you're born or by your family or something like that. Once you sort of figure out what your place is in life, you decide what your god is and then you go and worship. And so that's why he says that Mika will probably see a huge increase in followers after this. And then it goes on to talk about, you know, I didn't believe that a single girl is responsible for stopping the Dread. This was, some of these scenes here are some of the most core scenes of Falcon Twin that have been around since before it was even remotely in the form that it is. This sort of scene where Mika met the mayor and the mayor was expressing disbelief that she had done this sort of unbelievable thing was in there. And the survivor was also the thing that corroborated it too, because, you know, if it was just a whole bunch of bodies and you saw a random person walking to town covered with blood, yeah, you'd think maybe, but when they actually did find a survivor and interrogated him and he said it was just this chick and, you know, she was killing everyone and doing all these terrible things, then they said, well, I guess it really was her. And, but of course, upon hearing that there was a survivor, Mika, you can see the ugly side of her personality sort of coming back to light again. Kind of, uh, like the mayor says, kind of trying to finish the job a little bit. And so Mika demands to see him again, presumably, so she can finish killing him. And this was, the survivor was just a guy who she probably wounded very severely, but didn't completely kill because she was busy with, you know, the hundred other people that she had left to kill. And so this was some guy who just happened to survive when they found him. He was probably pretty close to dying. You can see behind the mayor, just in some of the background stuff, you can see there's a little sort of circular portal thing, which is a window into either another office or a lobby or something like that. That's an opening into another another space in the building. There's also the folders, big binders full of information about near Tendra tax data, stuff like that. You know, just whatever kind of bureaucratic stuff they would have in a mayor's office. The colors in the pages, you notice that the pages don't have a lot of color. That's not really, I know some people, I think I talked about this last time, some people thought that the whole color thing was an indication that it was all coming full circle back to the black and white pages of the of the earlier strips, but that wasn't it. It's just a different color scheme. And this is the same color scheme as the little montage, the three-panel montage when Mika goes out and goes and gets to the stationery and then writes the letter in the coffee shop and then hands it to the dude at the hotel. This is the same color scheme. I think it's actually, there's a little bit more red in the color scheme a little bit, so it's slightly warmer, but otherwise it's about the same. And more stuff in the background behind Mika in the second to last panel, you can see this little plant. It's not a plastic plant, I'm guessing, because they probably don't have plastic, but some sort of plant. And then you can also see behind Tresca in the last panel, you can see that there's some stuff in a sort of a glass case. There's a document, it looks like a metal. The document is something to do with near Tendra probably city charter, something along those lines. And then also at the bottom of the panel in the background too, you can see there's a display case with some glass and some wood sort of struts. If you look very carefully, you can actually see a little bit of light that's reflected off of the display case onto the wall there behind Tresca, which of course has absolutely nothing to do with anything. The mayor decides he's going to send the dude back to the Durad because the Durad are not necessarily the brightest bunch of people and they have, of course, no way of knowing who did this. They have no way of knowing that it was Mika responsible for you know, screwing up all their soldiers, and so 
the near tenderns can just easily send this guy back saying they have these people who can just kill us like 200 to 1. The, uh, that's the idea for scaring off the Dread, and it would probably work too because Sydney is not necessarily cooperating with the Dread all that much either, so she's not going to be volunteering that information. If they ask, she might tell them, but otherwise she's not even going to care one way or the other. And, you know, the other thing about it is that they would have to actually get Sydney back and ask her about it, which she wouldn't, you know, she's not at the Dread headquarters right now. They're going to be sending this guy back to where the Dread headquarters is. And so Sydney's out and about, and they would have to recall her and then say, okay, what's the deal? Or have send someone to contact her and say, what's the deal? Which they haven't done and may or may not do. Page 369, the lady's new toy. Okay, so here it is, the sword from the prologue. A few slight modifications, nothing too big. I changed the hilt a little bit so that it was a little bit more fancy. Doing this in 3D was kind of a pain in the ass. I mean, I didn't do it in a 3D program, but I had to actually draw it so that it looked three-dimensional. And that was sort of a pain in the ass because you've got three or four different geometric shapes that are all sort of irregular, and they're all intersecting too, and trying to get that to look right was just a hassle and a half. So, and actually, if you do go back to page 367 and you look at the first panel on the right-hand side, just below where Mika says, my name is Mika, you can actually see that case that she opens up right there, sort of from the end. And so, look, it's all foreshortened. But that, that case was actually there in that page. So you can go back and look at that. There's not much to see, but a little detail thing where, uh, as has happened elsewhere in Falcon Twin, things do sometimes appear in the strip before they actually make a formal appearance and, and make some sort of big showy introduction where you get the big reveal shot like you have in panel three here. And so the mayor is giving this sword to Mika. He received it from Hrothgar, which was a name that I could swear I had heard somewhere, but I looked it up on Google a couple of times and I never found anything. I guess there was a Hrothgar in Beowulf, which I've never read, and maybe a couple other ones. But there you go. So he's Hrothgar, which sort of sounds appropriately Norse. And so that's where that's from. Mika sees the sword and, of course, likes it. Hrothgar says it's one of the best blades he's ever crafted because, of course, the protagonists always get the best blades. And, oh, hey, look, this is the same page that my HP died for the third time. Have I mentioned that you really shouldn't buy Hewlett-Packard computers? Well, you shouldn't. And in the final panel on this page, Mika sort of runs her fingers along the length of the sword. Actually, you can see also in the sec third panel here, you can see the design on the sword matches this design on Tresca's knife, which is uh, just sort of to link those two together and indicate that they're both near Tendron weapons. I don't think that that's necessarily a a symbol of the of Hrothgar himself and his weapons. I think that's just more of a symbol of near Tendra altogether. Page 370, statuesque. And so now the mayor is continuing to further lay it on. Mika's continuing to be further upset about it. And Tresca's sort of watching this whole exchange, understanding that it's uncomfortable for Mika, and understanding that Mika is not really thrilled with the whole idea of being exposed to a lot of attention, and so it, this whole situation is just kind of going from bad to worse with Mika. So first it was the formality, you know, the people were mobbing her, and then the mayor comes on and delivers this big thing, and then now he's getting, there's a feast, and then he does the statue. The other thing about this is that Mika's interjecting these little bits of dialogue while the mayor's plowing ahead with his speech, which is to some extent prepared and to some extent isn't. And of course he calls Mika Lady Nia again, which plays into what happens to the next page. And there's this moment here where the mayor says, the statue, and Mika says, statue? And he says, we'll take longer to complete, blah 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 blah. That's sort of a very subtle reference to Fight Club. In there's a moment where Ed Norton is speaking with the detective, 
And the detective says, the dynamite. And Ed Norton says, dynamite? And the detective continues talking after that. And so that's what that's a reference to. I'm sure that no one would have understood that if I hadn't pointed out. But that's what that was. And then there's this little sketch of Mika in the statue. You can see her there with her sword holding the head of the dude. Also, if you look behind her feet, you can actually see a sort of sketched-in version of a person there with a little arrow pointing to him. That was something that the artist was thinking, well, maybe I'll put this dead person there behind her, or maybe not. And so he sort of blocked that in, but didn't go into a lot of detail about it. There's most of the notes here, I don't think, are actually real words or anything. They're just sort of things that look like writing. I think the one thing that I did write is just beneath the mayor's fingers, you can see it says, I need reference. I don't think you can actually read that in the page you know, at the size that it is and compressed as well. But that's what it says, I need reference. And so there's Mika, there's the dude behind her, and there's a little pedestal. I, actually, I sketched this in in Photoshop at the end. So that was sort of a fun little thing to do. And actually, I liked it because it was a nice little detail thing that you don't really get to see, but it's kind of like an inside joke for one. And so there's a statue. It's going to take a little while. He knows that Mika might be off, but wants her to come back for the unveiling. And Mika finally has had enough, stands up and says no. And page 371. And of course, with Mika standing up and saying no, people didn't who were reading didn't really know what exactly that meant. You know, did it mean no, no statue, no to everything, no, I have to go to the bathroom? I don't know. But here, so here she elaborates, no statue, no feast, no gifts. What is wrong with everyone around here? And, and she is, to some extent, amazed. I mean, she, this is true surprise on her part that people are so thrilled that she did this thing that she's finally coming to realize was, in a lot of ways, wrong, like Evan was saying earlier on. And so... Here she goes on a little tirade about it. This third panel where she says, I'm not your savior, I'm not your hero, I'm not your goddess, I'm a fucking murderer. There was originally another line that I was that I had in the script that I was considering putting in the page and decided against where she was going to compare herself to Sydney. Uh, she was going to say something like, I'm a fucking murderer just like Sydney and I deserve to die or something along those lines. Didn't seem all that necessary and I felt maybe kind of hammered home the, the whole similarity between the two of them a little bit too much and Mika probably wouldn't even be aware of the similarities between them at this time anyhow so that's what that was and then she sort of she exhausts herself she takes a little breather and then she remembers that the mayor's been calling her Lady Nia and I think he's called her Lady Nia at least three times and so then she snaps and says my name is Mika collapses back into the chair and Tresca reacts one thing with the whole business of her saying no feast, no statue, no nothing. She And she is keeping the sword, by the way. She's not taking all the gifts, but she's going to hang on to the sword. So one thing with all the with her saying no statue, no feast, no gifts, they're going to do those anyway. I mean, they're going to do the statue and they're going to do the feast because, well, they've decided they're going to do it anyway. It's like, I think at UCSD, they, uh, they were going to have some new college and they were going to name it after some guy. And the guy said, no, don't name it after me. Well, they're not going to stop building that extra college and all the buildings associated with it. They're just going to find someone else to name it after. In this case, they're going to do the statue anyway, and they're going to have the feast anyway because, you know, any excuse to have a party, they're going to go on and have that anyway. But, you know, Mika needed to vent anyhow. And in the final panel here, Mika says, I want to go home. The ambiguity here about what she means by go home is deliberate. I knew that people might think she meant to Japan, other people might think she meant to Tresk's house, and she doesn't really have anything specific, well, I shouldn't say that. She probably means Tresca's house, but she doesn't really even mean any place specific. She just wants to be out of the mayor's office and go to someplace safe. And for her right now, someplace safe is Tresca's house. She could mean Japan, but at this point she really sort of means Tresca's house, which has kind of become 
home to her to some extent, even though she's actually only been there for a fairly short amount of time. But that's the only place that she's really ever had any sort of sense of family or friendship or anything like that in this world since she's been there is, is in Tresca's house. I mean, every all the rest of the time she's been in this world, she's been moving around and going here and going there and traveling. And this is the only place that she's got any roots at all and any sort of connections to people who are locals and anything like that. So that's when she says she wants to go home. She probably has Tresca's house in mind, but you could easily interpret that in multiple ways, and that was a deliberate choice. All right, that's it. That was, what, five pages? And it looks like it's going to be around 20 minutes or so, which actually is more than I was kind of expecting. What else is new? Not very much. Site is the same as ever. Forms the same as ever. Computer sucks as bad as ever. Still recording this in GarageBand, which has really great voice processing, I have to say. I mean, when I was recording the the double-ender with Brent, and I should make a point to say that I really like the term double-ender because it sounds like a porn term. That chick does amazing double-enders. But anyways, when I was doing the double-ender with Brent for the last podcast, we recorded that on Windows, and then I brought it all over into GarageBand, even though I actually edited it in Audacity on Windows. We brought that all over into GarageBand just for the voice processing because it sounds really good. It takes forever to render the audio, though. That was kind of an unnecessary tangent. Anyway, what else is going on? I have done a couple more podcasts with Brent on Virgin Worlds. Specifically, we did a big, long MMO-slash-gaming podcast roundup about about a week ago. And so if you're interested in game podcasts or MMO podcasts in particular, go listen to that. Fortunately, I did most of the ranting, so I don't think Brent took as much heat as I did and people needed a scapegoat. Because, you know, some of the podcasts we reviewed were just crap. And I know that he can't necessarily say that in his podcast quite as easily as I can say it in his podcast because then it sort of makes him look bad if he's bagging on other people as much as I am. But yeah, that's kind of a fun little podcast. And if you want to see who the gayest of all the people we reviewed is, then you can definitely go see that. If you want to hear who the most abysmal gaming podcast I've ever heard is, you can go see that. And you can find that all at virginworlds.com. I think it's show 26. But really, you should be listening to all of them because they're all really good shows. And I really think that's about all I have to talk about today. So if you have questions or comments, and why the hell don't you, you can email them to me via the link on the homepage. There's also a send me an audio button on the podcast page you can use to send me a voicemail, or you can post something on the forums. And as I said before, if you do want me to cover it in the podcast, say so. Otherwise, I might just reply to your email and then not cover it on the podcast. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. So there. There. 